This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome. Welcome into Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. It's a Friday night. Where else would you where else would you rather be than right here with us on Sports Talk as we we put a ribbon on this week. We tie it all together for you and send you off into the weekend full of knowledge, full of excitement about what's going to happen in the sports world this weekend. we got basketball semifinals in Florence for the South Carolina High School League. we got, of course, college basketball tomorrow. South Carolina back in action after the week off. They needed it. Michi Johnson. Back in practice, according to Lamont Paris from his radio show last night, expected Michi Johnson to be able to go today, travel with the team, be able to play against Ole Miss tomorrow. That'll be big for South Carolina. Clemson back at home tomorrow night. Another 745 game on the CW. I better start hunting now to find the CW if I want to watch that game. Um, Whoever called up from Florence, I think it was earlier this week, and gave me the channel, for the CW on DirecTV does not work on my DirecTV. There is no Channel 16 for me with the CW on my uh, DirecTV. So anybody knows where you can find the CW on DirecTV, let me know. But Clemson, Florida State, tomorrow night, Tigers trying to build on that performance in their win the other night at Georgia Tech. Greg Sankey was in town today, the most powerful man in college sports, the commissioner of the SEC, he met with the South Carolina Board of Trustees. No, he did not kick the Gamecocks out of the SEC. That was not why he was in town. He's uh, visiting several different schools. This was his third stop on this particular trip. He was going to Florida from here and then to Auburn tomorrow for a meeting and also for the Swimming and Diving Championships. And then after he met with South Carolina's Board of Trustees today, he met with the media We'll bring you some segments of what he had to say. I'll remind you that it was it's very dry and professorial-like. So, uh, Bergie, if you're not good sitting in class, keeping your head up, listening to a professor, you might want to take preparation for that, for that when we hear from Greg Sankey. I thought he was fascinating, Phil, and I get it. He's dry, but you, you, can you imagine the amount of pressure that is on him every time he speaks? Because if he says anything, it's a seismic shift and how we sort of view college athletics. I mean, think about his comments, and he touched on them again today, that he made about wanting to expand the college basketball tournaments. And I think he was just kind of hinting at the prospects on down the road that might happen. Well, that was national news as soon as he uttered it out of his mouth. So everything he says is measured. But I I thought he had a really, really interesting talk. And obviously he was in town also to bring with him the the women's basketball regular season SEC trophy that we were talking about yesterday. The Gamecocks did get it, even though they still have not clinched the outright title by themselves. They've got to win one more game or have LSU lose one more. But nonetheless, just an interesting figure to come in the state. And I was curious, too, if this is kicking off his Sankey in 2028 for president. Why not start it in South Carolina because of the first in the South primary coming up this weekend? 
Good point. Good point. I must have missed the comment about the expansion of the basketball tournament. It didn't hit me as he was going through stuff, but we'll we'll listen to some stuff tonight and see if it comes back to me. And no, the no, other he thing didn't say too, it, you know, he didn't talk about it now. He just referenced a story. I think it was Pat Forty who actually had asked him about it yeah, months okay. and months ago. Yeah, and he yeah. made the comment then. Yeah, and it sort of came out that it, well, Greg's thinking he's in favor of going to ninety-six teams, and we all thought, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. We don't need to expand the tournament anymore. So I think okay. he's just trying, trying to make sure that anything he said today was not misconstrued. Gotcha. That's good because then you, you had me feeling like I fell asleep during his um, his meeting with us, and I missed something big. I'm thinking to myself, I don't remember him saying anything about that, and I didn't see any headlines today. So this was something that came out before. Thank you for clarifying that because sure. I, I was starting to feel kind of stupid. So we'll bring some of that to you. Uh, the other thing, too, though, how do you think Alabama, the women's basketball team from Alabama, must have felt knowing that you know Greg Sankey was there with the SEC championship trophy <laughs> assuming that they were going to get spanked by the Gamecocks last night, which they did. We'll hear some comments from Dawn Staley. Her 600th win as a college basketball coach last night, uh, very, very impressive. Her third straight SEC regular season championship, eight overall with South Carolina. I mean, when you, when you really – when you talk about all the coaches to coach in Columbia – for that matter, to coach in this state, nobody, nobody has dominated at the level that she has dominated here over the last 10 years because two national championships would have been a third had not COVID intervened. I don't think anybody would argue they would not have won a third national championship had COVID not intervened. Poised to win another one this year destroying everybody in their wake to this point. So she's as good as there's ever been in any sport in this state. Now, you can look at Ray Tanner, who won two national championships. You can look at Dabo Sweeney, who's won two national championships and a bunch of ACC titles. Maybe Dabo Sweeney's about the only other one you can talk about in the same breath, or maybe the other way around. Maybe Dawn Staley is the only other one you can talk about in the same breath with Dabo Sweeney, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, you know, Bill Wilhelm won a bunch of ACC baseball championships at Clemson, but never a national championship. Um, so I know it's a slippery slope when you start talking about the best here, the best there, et cetera, but she's, she's certainly in the top two or three all-time coaches in this state on the college level. It's inarguable, Phil. I mean, you just laid out her resume, and she and Dabo are probably the two that would be on the Mount Rushmore of greatest coaches to ever go through the state of South Carolina at the collegiate level. And I will say this, she is the best hire in terms of coaching uh, moves that South Carolina's ever made. And I stand firm behind that because uh, you just laid out the reasons why. I mean, what she has been able to do and take a program that had not won any S, it was not a factor at all in SEC women's basketball and turn it into the most dominant force now in SEC women's basketball is nothing short of a remarkable. And I think even watching her team this year, as they just keep picking teams off one by one by one, and they're getting no pub. Have you ever seen a number one, nas- a number one team in the country get less publicity than South Carolina's women's team does nationally? Everything's about Caitlin Clark at Iowa. This and is true. And they keep going out and losing. Uh, they got beat again last night because Clark had a bad second half. But the Gamecocks just quietly <laughs> continue to just blow teams out. It's amazing how efficient they are. 
and they played without their best player last night. Cordosa did yeah. not play. And, you know, they they let Alabama hang in there. I say let. They held them to six points in the first quarter, then really tightened the screws, 11 points in the first half, 11 points. You're a major college program. You got a great individual player in Loyal McQueen, but not enough. The South Carolina team is too deep. They play so well together. They're very unselfish, and they just have more great athletes across the board for women's basketball than the teams they face. When you look at Ashlyn Watkins, I mean, she's a terrific athlete. I mean, she could probably do a whole bunch of things in track and field. She's just an athlete. Um, That's just one example, and she was tremendous last night. Uh, Malaysia Full-Wiley, that's another one who's a a tremendous athlete, you know, plays the game at such a high level, Um, and and they're so tall. They're just so long. She has put together the ideal women's basketball team because, let's face it, uh, for the most part, Caitlin Clark and, you know, some examples here and there, women's basketball has to live on the inside. Um, I mean, I think you look at the numbers, the best teams are not necessarily the best outside shooters. I mean, South Carolina certainly not a really good outside shooting team, a three-point shooting team. But what they are great at and probably – unmatched at is their play inside and their ability to get rebounds and second chance points and block shots and um had a lot of block shots last night they create a lot of steals and what that does is that takes away possessions from the other team and you reduce their possessions by 10 or 15 or 20 percent you're going to win every game pretty much in a blowout that's what they have going for them right now maybe you know more tell me about women's basketball and three-point shooting well, you look at the Gamecocks, and uh, that's one area where they have improved. I mean, it's a 40% three-point shooting team, and I think that's the reason they'll win the national championship this year because they're more dynamic and more complete to go along with that inside dominance, as you pointed out, when uh, when they get it rolling down inside. But they can also now knock it down from the outside. Remember, we watched them throughout the NCAA tournament last year, and what did everybody do against them? They packed all five of their defenders inside the paint and dared South Carolina to shoot from the outside. They couldn't do it. You do that to them this year, they're going to roll you out of the gym because they can't actually knock it down, especially to, uh, Tahina Papau, uh, excuse me, Tahina Pau-Pau, who's one of the best three-point shooters in the, in the country. And so Dawn has gone out and realized, all right, what prevented me from winning another national championship last year? It was their inability to shoot the outside shot. Now she's got shooters from the outside. I just don't know how you defend them. And Alabama, that, that's a good Alabama team that they just dismantled last night and held to 11 points, as you pointed out in the first. That's a 20-win Alabama team. It was not five people they just pulled in off the street mm. and, and USC ran rough shot over. I mean, it's a pretty good Alabama team that they made look silly. To baseball. Of course, we got baseball going on this weekend, weather permitting. They had a rain delay in Columbia, but they have since started to play, and the Gamecocks are up 4 to nothing on Belmont. As they play in the bottom of the third inning, Gamecocks have a home run by Nolan, a two-run homer in the bottom of the first, and Dylan Brewer with an RBI, make that a two-RBI, two-RBI single. That makes it a 4 nothing Gamecocks. On the mound for South Carolina today is Jones, and he is looking good through three innings. No hits, no walks. He has struck out three. He has hit a batter. And um, the Gamecocks have uh, not committed an error. So only one base runner for uh, for Belmont. 
to this point. Gamecocks leading 4-0, bottom of the third. News up at Clemson, not nearly as good. Tigers are down to Kennesaw State. The Owls, 5 to nothing in the bottom of the fourth inning. So a struggling start for the Tigers in this one. And Kennesaw State scored a couple of runs in the top of the first, take a 2 nothing lead, added another run in the second inning for a 3 nothing lead, got a homer in the top of the third and a double for an RBI in the top of the third. That's a 5 nothing for Kennesaw State. All those runs coming off Tiger starter Billy Barlow, two innings, eight hits, five earned runs, two walks, struck out one, had a wild pitch. Nick Clayton now on for the Tigers, and he's not been sharp. He's allowed a hit. He has walked two. He's had a wild pitch, and um, he has struck out one. So a struggling, stumbling start, Chris, for the Tigers against Kennesaw State. They're down 5 nothing. bottom of the fourth. And that offense that has looked so good through the early portion of the season being held in check by Kennesaw today. Their starting pitcher has gone three and two-thirds innings. Only one hit allowed. He struck out four. Clemson, on top of the pitching struggles that you referenced, Phil, they just can't put the ball in play. And that's not been what they've been seeing out of the Tigers thus far. This happens. This is baseball. This is why those coaches always say, we've got to play all our games. We play 56. So midweek games happen sometimes, and you just run into a situation where you don't hit the baseball. It's not an indictment, I think, on Clemson today. But you, you start losing too many of these, as we've seen in the past, and that certainly hurts you NCAA selection time. But that's way, way down the road. But, and Clemson may come back and win today. But probably not the start they were hoping for. On, aside from, it, evidently, the upstate must be the only place in the southeast it's not getting any rain. It's raining here in Norfolk, has all day. Looks like it's raining in Columbia. It's been raining on the coast in South Carolina all day. So, uh, Clemson better take advantage of the good weather because they're one of the few spots, it appears, that's actually getting some good weather today. And Barlow getting the start for Clemson today. Tristan Smith tomorrow. Aiden Canuck on Sunday. And Tigers are, I believe, they're dealing with an injury with one of their starters, right? I think Gordon would ordinarily be a starter for them. Is it Austin Gordon? Ordinarily would be a starter for them. But uh, Barlow right now is the guy uh, filling in in that spot. Uh, Yeah, Austin Gordon. um, Yeah, he started one game but is not starting this weekend. So I don't recall if Coach Backage said something about any kind of an injury issue with him or not. But something to keep an eye on with the big series looming next week between South Carolina and Clemson. Meantime, down in Conway, Coastal hosting another baseball tournament this weekend. Illinois is their opponent today, and the Chanticleers are trailing 5-4, to 5-4 to four in the bottom of the fifth inning. So it is 5-8-1 uh, for the Illini, 4-4-0 four, four, oh for, uh, for Coastal Carolina. And a busy first as Illinois scored four in the top, and Coastal came back with three in the bottom. Each team's scored a uh, run in the third inning. And the Chanticleers have a home run by Books in the bottom of the third. Put that in the Books. Books hits a home run to left field, and it's 5-4. And Chanticleers trying to make up some ground. Eikhoff started, didn't have it, four innings, seven hits, five earned runs, a walk, two strikeouts. Ellison is on now, so... Rough start for Eikhoff this time around, Chris. And, uh, I mean, he's one of their dependable starters. But, like you said, time to time, you're not going to have it out there. 
and he was lights out in his opening day start last Friday. Of course, their entire team was when they blitzed George Mason. And if I'm not mistaken, that game is also being affected by weather. I think it's been stopped in the bottom of the fifth with the Shauna Clears batting there and a rain delay in Conway. So you might be able to just focus for the remainder of the program on what's happening at Clemson because it may be a while before the other two teams get rolling again. Is, did you mention, is South Carolina in a rain delay now? They are, or at least they were. I don't know if they still are. You're yeah. a touch closer to Columbia than I am. But, yeah, they were in a weather delay in the third. Yeah, I'm actually down along the coast tonight. Um, came through oh, a bunch nice. of rain. Yeah, came through a bunch of rain heading out of Columbia on and off. Spotty rain, overcast. Um, they're still in the bottom of the third. And they don't tell you on the stat broadcast if a game is in delay. So I'm assuming this game's not moving right now. So I don't, you're probably right. You're probably in a, well, I, in a delay. I saw yeah, I saw a tweet a little while ago as it went into the uh, bottom of the third. Had several of the uh, Gamecock players in what appears to be their uh, players' lounge watching television said uh, rainy day activities. Nice. So, nice, nice, yeah, nice. It was, a nice way, it was a nice way by USC's media staff to be able to show off that snazzy uh, players' lounge too. Man, mm. my, my bedroom at home is not that nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's touch on a, a few other things here. Um, out of Clemson today. Another Tiger in some trouble from Chapel Fowler of the state. Is Clemson becoming the new Tennessee? Yeah, they're far from that. But receiver Noble Johnson was charged on February 14th with reckless driving. He was involved in a car accident on campus. All three people involved had to go to the hospital. He reportedly was traveling at about 71 miles an hour in a 31, make that a 35-mile-per-hour zone near the Clemson campus, and then he hit another car that had failed to yield while making a left turn. This happened about 6.12 in the morning at the perimeter in Cherry Roads, not far from the Clemson football facilities. All three of the folks involved had to go to the hospital and along with his arrest on a misdemeanor reckless driving charge in connection to the accident, the driver of the second car, a woman whose name is redacted in the police report, was cited for two charges, failure to yield right away and driving without a license, first offense. A spokesman for Clemson told the state that Johnson's status with the team has not changed as a result of the accident. He remains a member of the program. And Dabo Sweeney is going to meet with the media on Wednesday prior to the start of spring practice. So you got Noble Johnson and Capehart uh, dealing with off-the-field issues here over the last couple of weeks. Um, Capehart's case, it was a traffic a traffic violation and also a weapons possession mm-hmm. violation. And now you've got a situation here with reckless driving. And, again, apparently in both cases, uh, both players remain with the team. Uh, not under suspension. Well, I, I think Capehart was away from the team, as I recall that story. But Clemson never announced any sort of a suspension or any sort of uh, outward punishment to the public. Uh, we'll see if Dabo Sweeney has anything more to add to that on Wednesday. But um, two cases here invi- involving vehicles, one involving a gun as well. So I don't know. Not enough, I guess, to be really concerned about. A couple of guys not able to control themselves behind the wheel. 
I don't think it's anything at this point to get overly concerned about, but you better keep an eye on it, right? You can't, uh, you can't take your eyes off these guys. They're driving more expensive cars than ever. They're driving maybe more powerful cars than ever. Maybe they feel like they're more bulletproof than ever. Who knows? I just don't understand what's going on in Athens, Georgia, with players driving out of control. And now at Clemson, same scenario. I mean, come on, guys. You understand speed limit is what it is. And I don't know how, Phil, you and I both have driven that perimeter road. And I know Tiger fans have ad nauseum. You've driven that area. That's not really an easy place to go 70 miles an hour. There's a reason it's a 35-mile-per-hour speed zone. And if the reported uh, uh, the speed limit, or excuse me, the reported speed Mm. is correct, I, I just don't get it. I mean, uh, I get it. The, we've heard this before. Coaches can't watch them 24-7. But, guys, you've got to have a little uh, common sense of knowing what you're doing as a representative of your football program and stop getting people hurt while driving your car way out of control. It's happening way too often, as we mentioned, at Georgia and now starting to become a problem, I think, up at Clemson, too. You're exactly right, and you're fortunate there's been no fatalities uh, in, in that particular case with the kind of speed you're talking about. Uh, South Carolina's announced the official restart of their game will be at 7.15. While I was um, thumbing through the state reading that story, I ran across another one I knew nothing about that came out a couple of days ago, but it was an important story. It had to do with the wife of the late Art Baker. Edith Baker and her daughter Kim were injured at a USC football game in 2019. They were on that big escalator that comes out of the the zone seating area. You know that big escalator on the outside Mm -hmm. that takes you down the ground? They were riding down that uh, escalator. It sped up and abruptly stopped, and they were propelled forward. And Mrs. Baker, Edith Baker, suffered serious injuries. I mean, serious injuries. And she was 88 at the time. Anyway, a lawsuit was um, was brought, and uh, it's been settled for more than a million dollars, according to court records acquired by the state newspaper. The uh, lawsuit claimed USC and Otis Elevator um, were negligent, and they failed to provide a safe environment and failed to inspect and maintain the escalator. I could see... That escalator is so steep. I mean, it's very steep. And if you're coming down and all of a sudden it stops and jerks or speeds up or whatever, it could throw you off your balance, especially if you're 88 years old. Uh, Mrs. Baker, uh, she died in uh, 2021 after the lawsuit was filed. So, and of course, Coach Baker just passed away a few weeks ago. So, saw that story. The case was settled for one point one two five. And $500,000 going towards medical expenses, attorney fees, and reimbursement costs. Kim Baker, the daughter, received more than $12,000 for her injuries. Art Baker received $540,000. And Edith Baker's estate received more than $50,000. All right. Just trying to bring you up to date on what we see out there. I'm telling you. Busy news day while I've been out of town. And by the way, speaking of which, I'm going to have to uh, shoot out of here a couple of minutes early. The uh, team has just wrapped up practice, so I'm going to have to skid out or they're going to leave me here. We're talking about practice. <laughs> practice. Yep, just wrapped it up here in Old Dominion's practice facility, which is as nice a practice facility as a lot of schools have their regular basketball arena. I mean, it's really, really nice. I'm sitting in what should be somebody's office or uh, mm. you know greeting area. 
here inside the uh, practice facility. But I will chat with you guys on Monday, and I'll actually be back home on Monday. Fantastic. Well, you have a great call tomorrow. What time's your game? 7 o'clock tomorrow night. 7 o'clock on the Coastal Carolina Radio Network, which I can listen Indeed. to while I'm down here. Yes, you can. Should be able to pick it I up. I think I might listen to you and second-guess you as you're calling the game. I think I'll, <laughs> I think I'll do that, and I'll, I'll text you as you uh, say things that I'm second-guessing you about. I, I appreciate that. I need all the help I can get. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. Y'all have a good weekend, guys. Yes, Safe sir. travels. Thank you. Night, Thank Thanks. you very much. Okay. Um, break is coming up. Uh, a judge has granted an injunction in Tennessee for Tennessee versus the uh, NCAA and the federal court freezes NIL rules. This is being viewed as a victory for the state of Tennessee and potentially the University of Tennessee. This is written by the Knoxville News. We'll touch on that, and that will lead into comments from Greg Sankey. Good time to bring that to you after the break. We'll also be hearing from Dawn Staley, her comments from last night. Jeff Owens, NASCAR this weekend in Atlanta, and, of course, George Bryan on golf. Be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. Several things to hit on, and we're going to do it in just uh, in, in short order so we can get to other things. I mentioned this story about Tennessee. So a federal judge today suspended NCAA rules on name, image, and likeness benefits for athletes. It says here that deals a serious blow to the NCAA's enforcement powers, eases the stress, University of Tennessee amid NCAA investigation, It's a victory for the attorneys general in Tennessee and Virginia in their lawsuit against the NCAA and potentially for UT in its fight with the NCAA over NIL rules. This injunction granted in the Eastern Tennessee District by Judge Clifton Corker found that NIL rules caused irreparable damage to athletes. Listen, I told you this, and I'll continue to tell you this. The NCAA is going to go winless in court in all of these arguments. They're just going to lose because now that it's been thrown to the courts, the courts realize the NCAA has been holding back these athletes from being able to make money off their name, image, and likeness and in other aspects. And they view that as, what, a restraint of trade or uh, antitrust violations, however you want to word it. And the NCAA, they have no defense. They have no way to fight this and win because their history is against them now. This decision applies while, while the uh, – uh, this decision applies until the court case plays out and the ruling covers the entire country, preventing the NCAA from enforcing its NIL rules. Oh, Great. They can put the cookies back in the room. The cookies and the candy can go back in the rooms. How about that? Major breakthrough for college athletes all across the country. This keeps the NCAA from enforcing its NIL rules against any school and giving student athletes latitude on signing deals. Corker took issue with the NCAA strategy to prevent recruiting inducements 
including the association's attempt to classify NIL collectives, which raise and distribute money as boosters. So, anyway, NCAA loses again, and uh, they will continue to lose. And all these uh, lawsuits that come up, I see no, no way they won't continue to lose because once the precedent was set by the courts and then by the Supreme Court, what leg did the NCAA have to stand on in any of these cases? Because what the NCAA, I'm sorry, what the Supreme Court ruled pretty much wiped out everything that the NCAA had been trying to enforce over all these years. So, which means it's like, you know, all these schools now, when you think about it, had this been brought up 40, 50 years ago, all those cases against Clemson and against uh, name your major cases involving recruiting inducements where schools were heavily embarrassed, spent millions of dollars in defending themselves, players and families were identified treated as criminals, uh, treated as guilty until proven innocent. None of that would be happening today. None of that. And it's a shame now that these schools, these individuals, can't go back and sue the NCAA. I mean, I guess the rules were the rules were in place back then. But if it had anybody had the foresight 40, 50 years ago to maybe take this to a judge, to take it to an attorney, to take it to the Supreme Court or whatever back then, don't you think it would have been shot down back then as well? If it was, if it's wrong now, it was wrong 40 years ago what the NCAA was doing with their rules, okay? So, now don't get me wrong. I'm not being a hypocrite here. I still believe in my heart of hearts, okay? I still believe that a paid-for college education and everything that comes along with it was a very good, if not proper, exchange for playing your college sport, whether it was football or volleyball or whatever. I always, I thought then, I think now, that's a pretty good give and take. You come play for us, we pay for your education. Now, they could have done some other things. They could have allowed for transportation for the families. They could have allowed some things. They were too heavy-handed. Still believe a paid-for college education over four or five years is pretty darn good trade-out, even though the courts don't recognize it. That's the one thing that bothers me. They don't recognize the money that the players made via scholarships. No, it wasn't the cash in their pockets, but it was the money they never had to spend. Their families never had to spend $200,000 over four or five years. They never had to spend for meal tickets and everything else the regular student and their families had to pay for. I thought that was a pretty good deal. Obviously, not good enough, but okay. I can accept what's happening now. Um, so another big blow to the NCAA uh, right there with that. And and with that, let's. I want to go to comments from Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, the most powerful man in college sports. By the way, Kennesaw State has an eleven nothing lead on Clemson in the top of the fifth. Oh my. A six-run top of the fifth for the Owls. Two outs. They got runners on the corners. The most powerful man in college sports. There's no question. Greg Sankey in Columbia today. Met with the Board of Trustees at USC. Then had a session with the media. I've pulled out some excerpts. We begin with his comments on 
this SEC and Big Ten collaboration, which has now uh, started to, to come together with meetings and conversation. Here he is talking about those two leagues working together. When, when I, three weeks ago when we made the announcement, I, I cited an experience from early January where we had been in Houston for the college football playoff, and then I traveled to Phoenix for NCAA meetings. And after the NCAA Division I council meetings, where we don't make a lot of progress at any one point, um, I had uh, several individuals come up and ask, like, when are, when are the Big Ten and SEC just going to tell us what they want? And that wasn't the first time that we had thought about um, this kind of collaborative effort. We do have the need in litigation to work together. Um, so the, the, the motivation is really around what I describe as understanding the expectation for leadership and accepting that responsibility. Uh, now, the outcomes are, are really focused, or the, the initial discussions are focused on what's immediately in front of us. So we have litigation issues. Uh, we want to understand the Project Division I model that, that Charlie Baker has introduced and, and is developing. Um, and so we'll, we'll be very focused initially. And then, you know, could it grow? That remains to be seen. But those are really important issues, by the way. You, know, you talk about the litigation. All right, on to the next comment from Greg Sankey, commissioner of the SEC. He was asked to comment on the current state of college sports for the athletes. Here's his response to that question. I do think our student-athletes deserve better than this current atmosphere. I also, at the same time, and this will seem a dichotomy, think there's no better time to be a student-athlete than right now in the history of college athletics. For all of the criticism, um, I see a lot of smiles. I see a lot of opportunities. I see a lot of growth and development. Um, and, and I see, you know, concierge health care, concierge mental wellness care, you know, immediate help uh, around academic support, people making progress, probably beyond even their own expectations academically. We're seeing more graduate patches right now because of COVID eligibility extensions. But we can't, we can't sit here and say, well, these great experiences mean we're at a destination because these external pressures are continuing to, to compel the need for conversation about change. Greg Sankey, we're listening to comments from him, the SEC commissioner who is in Columbia today. Now, here are his thoughts on the ongoing talks now that just became public the other day. Of course, they just settled on 12 teams for the college football playoff. Now, apparently conversations taking place about going to 16 teams what did Sankey think about that when we were at none there was conversation about more when we were at two there was conversation about more we're at four and there's conversation about more uh, when I was commissioner of the Southland Conference and we had a 16 team playoff there was conversation about more there's conversation in the NCAA basketball tournament about more. I think that's the reality of postseason bracketing. You know, the NFL's added more. I assume other professional leagues are talking about more. And I, I focus less right now on a particular number and, and think more broadly about how do we continue to move the game of college football forward. 
of course, more just means more in the playoffs for SEC teams and, and probably Big Ten teams. You know that's in the back of the minds of these two leagues as they talk with one another. And here is what Greg Sankey had to say about his argument for having multiple Southeastern Conference teams in the college football playoff in years to come. The strength of our league is remarkable in comparison to our colleagues in the sport of football. The ability to compare um, an 8-4, and 9-3 and three SEC team in the future, given the rigors of our schedule, both inside the conference and then the non-conference expectation, even at eight games, um, in my view, is beyond compare. Maybe there's one comparative. And, and so there, there are concerns that have been talked about in, in our athletics director's room about um, that type of analysis. We also talk beyond football. We talk about scheduling in general. So basketball has led the conversation that because of the way selection can be positioned, it governs how we make scheduling decisions. And can we, can we alter some of that thinking to free up additional schedule thinking for ourselves? That's well beyond a particular number or designation of automatic this or automatic that. I think it is one of the realities that's now upon us, given our, our overall strength. Um, lastly, I think last year, if you look at the 12 teams, in the, uh, if you look at the top 12 CFP teams, there was one not in the Big Ten or SEC. I think that's like the, the best evidence quickly of how, how the rigor of our schedule will exist in the future. Yeah, because I go back and look in the in the two-team era, we had a two-loss team in the national championship game, but I don't see anybody putting an asterisk by that game, that team, or that national champion. All right, and finally, from Greg Sankey, of course you could hear there that, listen, he's got the best league. He believes they play football at a level that's not played anywhere else in the country. They deserve to have – Many more teams in the playoffs than anybody else. Not just one, not just two, three, four, how many? Uh, That is his argument, that they deserve that because they play the best football there. And like he said earlier in comments, the, the, the fact that, you know, a team could have two, three more losses to win a national championship, no big deal in his mind. Uh, and as we talked about the other night, you could be, if that's the case, you could be looking at, you know, teams meeting for two or three times in a season once they get to the playoffs. One last thing, he was asked, when can the fans, you know, like every other year we're seeing expansion and, te- uh, you know, uh, conferences being disbanded and you know, teams moving from one conference to the next and the NIL stuff and the transfer stuff, all this stuff happening over the last two or three years. The question was, when do you, when does Greg Sankey believe that fans can expect things to kind of settle down in college football in particular and have a extended run without all the movements and interruptions and let fans enjoy the sport? I think the next couple of years are incredibly important though, to trying to come to some conclusion, whether it's through, you know, dealing with these court cases or the, the things go to trial or, can Congress either act, and I would hope sooner rather than later, but I know we're in an election cycle. So I, I, I would observe that every day is critical to resolve issues, every day, every week, every month. And, and I, would, I would observe the next two years are critical, but I don't have the luxury of thinking there's a time when I'm not going to lose sleep over the issues you listed. I mean, literally. I just think that's the, 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 the pace of change, the culture. 
Um, if you look from 21 forward, so I began my remarks upstairs with look, let's go back to 2016 and think about change. Let's go back to 2021 and think about all of the change in the preceding 20 years versus the change since 21. Uh, 32 members of the bowl subdivision have changed conferences. You have a conference that effectively won't exist come this summer. Um, you have, you know, the, the court cases, you have the state laws, you have, um, I think, very different expectations. Um, you have, you know, prior to 2020, I'm the newest conference commissioner and I'm the longest tenured conference commissioner. So that, those realities are, are going to continue to change. And while we need to work towards answers soon, um, I think the expectation of change will continue, or adaptation is a friendlier word, I think, than change. Well, my head hurt after listening to all that, but it was, uh, you know, somewhat insightful. Gave you some idea of what the head man in the college world is thinking. He's thinking lots of teams in the playoffs for his conference, Lots of teams in the playoffs, period. And um, he believes this is a great time, a great time to be a college athlete. Clemson, not a great time to be a Clemson baseball player. Down 13 to nothing to Kennesaw, top of the six. Be right back. Last year was a big year for Founders Federal Credit Union and our amazing members. A total of $30 million was given back to qualifying members in the form of loyalty bonus dividends, proving once again that it pays to be a Founders member. Founders is also committed to pouring time and resources into the local communities we serve. If you aren't a member yet, what are you waiting for? Join Founders today. Visit foundersfcu.com. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership qualification required. Hi, this is Lisa Hostetler-Brown. Do you know the difference between a revocable trust and an irrevocable trust? The difference could easily save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in long-term care costs. Visit LawyerLisa.com to schedule a consultation today. Call Lawyer Lisa. Experience the difference with Lawyer Lisa. 7511 St. Andrews Road, Irmo, South Carolina. Daddy, you need a trust. You've put in the work for your education. The extra early, extra late, extra, extra work. That's because you understand education opens doors to better pay, better opportunities, and a better you. Being educated about playing the lottery is no different. It helps you be a better player, one who knows when to play and when to take a rain check. The lottery's a game, so let's keep it fun. Learn more at sceducationlottery.com slash better you. George Bryant here for Tsunami Bar Sports, and some say the fun is in the winning. I say the fun is in the training. And Tsunami Robbie, what do you say? George, we all know you get more done when you're having fun. This technology is different, it's engaging, but it's also a lot of fun to use. Hi, this is Phil Kornblut. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any Tsunami Bar order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. Getting hammered by Kennesaw State, 13 to nothing, 13-14-0 for the Owls, 0-1-1 one one 
for the Tigers in the top of the six. Ooh, they could be, if they agreed to it, they could be run-ruled uh, here in another inning if they don't get it going. South Carolina still in the rain delay, up 4 nothing on Belmont, and Coastal Carolina trailing Illinois 5-4, to bottom of the fifth. Last night, USC women won an eighth SEC regular season championship, third in a row for Dawn Staley and the Gamecocks. They knock off Alabama. Here is a little bit from Dawn Staley following that championship-clinching win last night. Dawn, another championship celebration. And Do you ever want to get used to this feeling? Of course, of course. We want to win. We want to win. If there's a championship out there, we want to win. The game out there, we want to win. Um, it's, it's great. Like it, it really is great that uh, this team has put us in this position this early. And I say early into the regular season because it usually takes um, probably the last game. You're jockeying for a position. You're, you're looking over your shoulder. Um, um, and they they made it clear. They made it clear. Um, and it feels good. It feels good. Coach, I know uh, tonight might be a little different because there was, you know, a title on the line. But in a season like this where you're winning a lot of games, mostly by double digits, how do you keep, I guess, things kind of fresh and competitive and in practices and then be able to try to make sure you're 100% sharp on the floor in these type of games? Well, <clears throat> we're challenged in practice. Like, there's a challenge. It's not like a... It's not like it 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 looks um out on the on the floor like probably today didn't look great offensively defensively, I thought we did a really great job in the first and second quarter and then the third fourth quarters I thought they they did a good job of just punching it down our throats and forcing us to guard at the rim um, and then offensively, I just thought we we did a little bit of better job at pat at, at making shots. Um, didn't have a whole lot of assists. We want to get our assists out. We want to make sure that we are making the right plays and right decisions. But it, I mean, this team, like, even, I don't know, what is it, game 26? I mean, I, I keep waiting for them to, to probably play like they played in the first half, meaning um, a little rough around the edges, trying to figure out who needs to score, um, defending, defending pretty good, but just trying to find out who's going to be that that person or persons that that's able to go get us a bucket um, that could keep our our offense fluid. Um, so I keep looking for that team that struggles to score and uh, play the right way, um, but they they find a way to only have little glimpses of that throughout a forty minute period. I think we're we're probably more dis- disciplined defensively. Um, than most teams, and that gets us over the hump. And then from an offensive standpoint, I think we got a, enough players that that know how we want to play, um, even if they don't play how we want how we want them to play. It's, it's a kind of weird dynamic to it. Um, but I know they're super competitive. Like, I know they don't want to lose, and I know that um, they don't get rattled. Um, so it's kind of a cool yet scary situation to be in. But 20, winning 26 games in a row is, is pretty darn good. Uh, Coach, 600 career wins tonight for you. And you talked a little bit about that first SEC trophy presentation out there. But are there any other aspects, I guess, of your career that you've been reminiscing on 
this season, especially given how unique it's been compared to seasons past? Not really. No, I mean, this, this team keeps me present, really, it does. It keeps me present. Like, how do we, how do we as coaches not get in the way, but also continue to coach them up so they can play the right way? Um, and I, you know, I don't, I think we're always in the way, honestly. I think we're always in the way because we really can't take our foot off, off the gas with them. They're so young. They're so free, like free. They're free, and sometimes free is wrong. Like, <laughs> um, that's what I have to explain is, like, they play free, and sometimes it looks great, and then other times it's just flat-out wrong. And that is the, the wrong part is what keeps us up. It keeps us, like, always on edge to see if this is going to be the team that we that we started out being in June. Like, we're still trying to look for that June team, and and they, they find a way to to play above that time and time again. All right, thoughts of Dawn Staley. They win another. Their winning streaks are, gosh, they're just off the charts. As she mentioned, 26 in a row this season, 26 in a row overall. And they are three wins away from a perfect regular season. High school basketball semifinals taking place at the Florence Center today. Rock Hill defeated J.L. Mann, upper state semifinal. 5A girls, 53-50. Rock Hill and Man, 53-50. Okay, and then I'm just trying to follow some tweets here. Um, we got Burns and Malden, and that's a final. 5A boys, Burns beats Malden, 65-55. 65-55, Burns over Malden. 5A boys semis, be right back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk here on the Sports Talk Media Network on a very busy Friday night. Phil Kornblut at our Coastal Studios and Josh Cohen back at our Columbia Studios. Chris Bergen was with us earlier. Now he is off with the Coastal basketball team as they finished up their practice. A couple of quick things. It is um, 13-0 Kennesaw State, top of the seventh, leading uh, Clemson up at Doug Kingsmore. South Carolina still in a rain delay till. About 7-15, over Belmont. Illinois leading uh, Coastal Carolina 5-4 in the bottom of the fifth. And back to the high school basketball uh, state semis being played at the Florence Center. End of the third quarter, this is 5A girls semi. Uh, this would be lower state. Uh, Sumter 25, Somerville 19. Sumter 25, Somerville 19. That's 5A girls, okay? We had, um, that's 5A lower state girls. And again, earlier, had the final for 5A upper state boys. Uh, Burns over Malden, 
55, and then you have the final score as well for 5A Upper State Girls, uh, Rock Hill defeating J.O. Mann 53-50. to A lot of basketball, a lot of basketball going to be played at that site um, over the next couple of days and then into next week in the state championship games to be played there in Florence uh, beginning next week as well. Uh, one more thing uh, to mention before we go to Jeff Owens and talk some NASCAR. That is today, University of South Carolina, and I guess this was big. I see everybody uh, reacting about how big and how great uh, this this is. I don't claim to be a man of the world. I'm a man of the uh, of the town, of the state, not of the world. But apparently, from a worldwide standpoint, this this is big. And I josh, of course, because I know it's it's kind of big. Uh, South Carolina, williams Bryce Stadium, August the 3rd, going to be hosting Liverpool FC and Manchester United, part of the Rivals in Red Tour. And these are uh, Premier League Titans. Even I have heard of Manchester United, MU, right? Isn't that what they call them, MU? And Liverpool FC. And they're going to play at Williams-Brice Stadium, part of a three-city uh, tour. So I imagine they'll sell the place out. They'll probably have 75000 for that thing, I guess. So uh, big news there in the world of soccer. And Wofford named their new athletics director today. He is Scott Cole, who comes from Charlotte. He was a... Uh, Let's see what he was. He was a deputy AD for external affairs, executive director of the Athletics Foundation at UNC Charlotte. He's also been at Utah, South Florida, Florida State, and TCU, a proven fundraiser in his 31 years in intercollegiate athletics. So Scott Cull, K-U-L-L, the new AD at Wofford. And with that, let's turn our attention to NASCAR. We welcome in Jeff Owens for our NASCAR segment. In Atlanta, after Daytona last week, uh, last weekend, welcome in Jeff Owens in the fast lane once again here on Sports Talk. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Phil. Uh, ready for another uh, big weekend of racing this weekend. Did you get everything out of the 500 that you wanted? <laughs> Uh, yeah, after waiting for a day, I would say so. Yeah, I thought it was a good race. Um, you know, uh, it was amazing to me. Uh, you know, you asked me before the race, are we going to see some of that single file racing where they just ride around for a while? And, uh, we saw that except for it was double wide racing. And, and that really surprised me that, uh, they ran that many laps double wide 
and, and just couldn't get apart from each other. But I, I thought it was, you know, I thought that was great. And then I thought the end came down to just what we expected, you know, and, and it was kind of unfortunate because you had a lot of heavy hitters and, and your top stars up there at the front battling for the win. And then, um, and then somebody makes a bad move, and all of a sudden it wipes out half the field. And uh, we've seen it time and time again down there. And then that, you know, what was interesting is that the two guys that caused the big wreck, uh, William Byron and uh, Alex Bowman, wind up finishing first and second with Byron winning the race. But, um, yeah, I thought it was exciting. Uh, you know, had a lot of action, a lot of drama, and then uh, exactly what we expected at the end uh, a big wreck and a wild uh, race to the finish. and uh, so, But I thought it was a pretty good Daytona 500. And, you know, I mean, you got the best drivers in the world. We've said this before. you got the best drivers in the world. But running that fast, that close together, there's nothing that they can do to prevent that from happening. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and it's hard to place blame on anybody uh, on any of the wrecks we saw this weekend because you're right that that sort of racing – that that tight packs bumper to bumper door to door you can't run 500 miles without somebody slipping up and uh you either ride around and don't do anything or you try to make a move and uh and then something happens but that's it's the nature of the racing really no one's fault and you know it's going to happen you just try to hope you're not the guy that's in it and um you know it's going to happen again this weekend we got another restrictor plate this weekend and uh we're going to see some other more big wrecks, I believe. Yeah, I tell you, we'll talk about Atlanta in just a moment. I do love the racing in Atlanta. So, uh, William Byron, Alex Bowman, there you Chevys, Christopher Bell in the Toyota, and Corey LaJoy in a Chevy, then Bubba Wallace in a Toyota, and then A.J. Allmendinger in a Chevy. My point is, you know, where are the Fords and where did the Chevys come from? Because I can remember talking to you on Friday, and we had talked about practice, and it was Toyota, 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 Toyota. And the Chevys yeah. weren't anywhere to be seen, so we obviously we knew the Chevys were going to be a factor. Yeah, yeah, you knew those Hendrick cars would get up there, and we saw that in the qualifying races. They came to the front, uh, and your Fords were there. Uh, they just all got taken out in the big wreck. I mean, uh, you know, Logano had a, ch- a great chance to win that race and was probably going to win it, and he had Keselowski right there on his bumper. Uh, Ryan Blaney was in the mix, so you had your Fords up there. Uh, unfortunately, most of those guys got taken out. And then toward the end, you know, we saw some of your Toyotas get in it too. You know, Denny Hamlin, I, I thought, had a great shot to win that race, and he got taken out. So, you know, when it comes down to that, it, it's almost more of a matter of survival uh, than it is, you know, what manufacturer or even what team you're on. And uh, it's it's whoever's going to be able to dodge those wrecks and be there to the end, and, uh, and that's kind of what we saw. You think the fans, I mean, oftentimes at at Talladega and Daytona, because of the nature of the racing, some, um, not one of the big dogs will win because they're just hanging around. There's the big wreck, and they slide up in there, and they and they get the W. Uh, a lower finance team or a not-so-famous name, not the case here. You had the, you know, the primo team with one of the primo drivers winning it, don't you think, you know, if you were to peel back the onion of the fan, that's that's what they want to see. They want to see those top dogs running and winning at places like Daytona and Darlington and Talladega. 
Yeah, I do. I do. I, I think they want to see their favorite driver win. I want. To, I think they want to see the stars win. And we had that. I mean, you had all the heavy hitters, uh, including Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin and all those guys battling for the win up there with about 20 laps to go until we had the big wreck. I, I think the upsets are, are fine, and it's a good, you know, feel-good story. But, yeah, I think the vast majority of fans, they want to see their guy win. And they want to see the stars. You want to see the biggest names in the sport. And I know we got some young guys coming along that's sort of breaking that up right now. And you got a lot of guys that are stepping forward, and we're seeing some new names win races. But, you know, I, I think you want to see the top teams. I think you want to see the biggest stars winning races. And an upset's okay right now, man. But, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, and I think, you know, I think they would also prefer to get back to a situation where, we're not seeing 16 winners every every single year. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think they're starting to get a little antsy and a little tired of that, mm-hmm. and I think they're getting to the point where you want to see your big stars win more races so that we can you know possibly develop a little bit of rivalry going on right there. So uh, we'll see how it plays out this this uh, year. But uh, I agree with you. I, I think seeing your big names win is what it's all about. Yeah, and that would give a little more drama, would it not? Um... Well, you'd have more at-large spaces available if you didn't have them all gobbled up by race winners, different different race winners. You'd have a little bit more uh, to fight for in those in those last races to try to gain those points and get those last spots if you're if you're not a race winner. Yeah, I, th- I think it would. I think it would make the the competition at the end of the year more intense uh, because let's face it, right now you know you get fifteen, sixteen winners a year. You can pretty much bet that about four or five of those guys are, you know, I don't want to say they lucked into a win because that, that they didn't. They went out and earned it, but they're not a guy who can do that every single week. Uh, so you're going to have, by doing that, you're going to have five or six guys in the playoffs every year who got there by winning one race, and then they didn't do much the rest of the year. We see that time and time again, and those guys, to me, are not legitimate championship contenders. So if you got more of your big names winning races, I think it eliminates a little bit of that. And then you got to race your way in on points, you know, instead of hoping for a victory and that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I think the parody has sort of played itself out a little bit, and I think most fans would rather see a situation. And you also, you know, if you have a, a an organization or a driver who gets hot, and starts winning some races, four, five, six races, you know, all of a sudden that makes things more interesting. He's got a target on his back, and it creates some rivalry and some drama. And uh, I think the sport is kind of missing that right now. All right, let's talk about Atlanta. You mentioned um, very fast track since they went through the uh, reconfiguration. Uh, Excellent racing at Atlanta. I'm not sure the fans in Atlanta really appreciate what a great product they now have there. I know they've been sort of laissez-faire, I think, over the years. Have they not about um, packing that place and having having great attendance? Maybe it's the time of the year. Maybe it's the weather. I don't know. But they do produce a great product now at that track, don't they? Yeah, they do. You know, and you're right. There were a lot of years there where they had trouble selling tickets. And, and a lot of it, you know, they, they got a bad draw on the schedule. You know, this early springtime, it's too cold and you know, late in the year, college football is going on and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, they used to they, they used to get the bad draw on the schedule. But once they switched this track up, and what's interesting is that, 
you know, the drivers weren't in favor of this at all. You know, they didn't want them to repave that racetrack. But mm-hmm. by repaving it, it became too fast. They had to make some alterations, and all of a sudden we've got a restrictor plate track. And you're right, the last two years, uh, the four races they've run there with restrictor plates have all been outstanding. Uh, so I think they made a great move. I think the fans love it. Uh, I hope we have a packed house on Sunday, and I hope they start drawing better. I think they have the last couple of years, uh, but I agree. Uh, that that switch to restrictor plates made that a really, really exciting race. And uh, and it's great. You know, it's, it's interesting that the season is opening now with back-to-back restrictor plates. Mm-hmm. We've never seen that before. And uh, so now we go to a race where, and, and, and this is actually, you know, this is a big race now because, now you got another restrictor plate race back-to-back, and if you get caught up in a big wreck again after already having been in one in Daytona, if you start the season off being in two big wrecks like that, you're in a deep hole, and you got to really dig yourself out over the next 10 races to get out of that hole. So it adds a little bit of drama. Uh, there'll be guys this weekend a little bit antsy because you don't want to get caught up in a big mess again. You got a favorite? Oh boy, uh, you know this almost is like Daytona. You don't you don't really know who to go for. You know William Byron's won two of the last the two of the four there, uh, so you got to keep an eye on him. Joey Logano has won one. I kind of like those Penske cars. Uh, Logano was really fast last weekend before he got taken out. Also, right uh, like Ryan Blaney, his teammate. You know Blaine, Ryan was in a lot of mess down there. He got in the wreck just about every time he went out on the track, but he mm. was fast. Uh, and, and he's fast at this kind of racing, so I think he'll be in the hunt, too. I kind of like those Penske cars this weekend. All right, my friend. We like you, and we appreciate you being with us. Have a great weekend. Try to stay dry, and hopefully they'll have no issues with the race, and maybe uh, you'll have a better weekend than the Clemson baseball team is having right now. 15 to nothing. the Tigers are down in the top of the wow. eighth to uh, Kennesaw State. So, unfortunately wow. for wow. them, no run rule in place here. They would have ended this thing already after seven. Looks like they're going to play the full nine. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Phil. Have a great one. See you. you too, buddy. Thank you. Jeff Owens with us in the fast lane here on Sports Talk. We go to the break, and we'll come back with the recruiting report. South Carolina and Belmont have resumed. The Gamecocks have added two more runs. And they are up 6-0, top of the fourth. Cassis with a two-run double to get the Gamecocks to six runs. And bottom of the fifth, Illinois continues to lead Coastal 5-4. They might be in a rain delay. Game hasn't moved in a while, and it is raining outside. Uh, Of course it's raining outside. It's raining pretty hard. Be right back. Hi, yes, uh, I'll have the club sandwich and house salad. You got it, sweetie. I'll throw in a pair of designer sunglasses as well. Um, just lunch, thanks. How about a week at my boss's oceanfront villa? What? When you join the South Carolina Education Lottery's Players Club, you get way more than you expect. More chances, more wins, and more surprises. Today's special, a trip to low Earth orbit in a private spaceship. Join the Players Club at seeducationlottery.com because more happens here. High school sports don't just happen. There's a ton of work that goes into every single athletic event. And we have our school's athletic director to thank for a lot of it. Thank you. For scheduling officials so I can always play the game I love. For ordering quality athletic equipment so I can stay safe on the field. For mentoring my coaches so they can be the best role models for me. 
for coordinating transportation so I can get focused for the big game. For helping us develop character and learn lessons that will benefit us for the rest of our lives. Thank you to our AD for always creating a positive experience for us. We'll never forget it. From all of us at the NIAAA, thank you to every athletic administrator in South Carolina for all you do to enrich the lives of your students. It does not go unnoticed. This message presented by the NIAAA, the National Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Major Billy Downer here from the Department of Natural Resources, and DNR is excited to announce the implementation of Go Outdoors SC, a new online licensing and boat titling system that you can access right from your phone. Through this new system, customers can purchase their hunting and fishing licenses, renew their boats, apply for lottery hunt opportunities, and complete electronic harvest reporting requirements. For more information, visit Go Outdoors SC at your local app store. I'm attorney Jim Corbett. That's the sound of a big hit on you and your car or truck. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years, helping people who get injured in car wrecks and truck wrecks. If you have serious injuries, call Jim Corbett, 803-765-2968, or email me at jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T. I don't get paid unless I recover for you. Jim Corbett Attorney, for your best recovery from a big hit, 803-765-2968, or jim at jimcorbettattorney.com. Okay, we give you the recruiting report tonight here on Sports Talk. It is brought to you by our good friends over at Sea Wells and uh, reminds you that uh, with party season coming up, celebration season, marrying season, whatever season you want to call it, and you're going to have that very special event, you want some very special treatment in the catering business because you want your catering to be just right. And Seawells will make it just right. Planning, execution, cleanup. They'll take care of it all. 803-771-7385. SeawellsCateringSC.com for more online and the Daily Luncheon Buffet coming at you again next week, Monday through Friday, barring any kind of private parties, from 11 to 2. Make sure you plan your lunch break around the trip to the big buffet line at Seawells, 14 bucks. You will not be disappointed. Okay, tonight, safety, Jadon Blair, 6'4", 180 of Winston-Salem. He's a top prospect at his position nationally. South Carolina's heavily involved. Of course, he's got offers from all over. But he's got the Gamecocks down for an official on May 31st. He was in for a junior day in January. He also plans to check out a spring practice in March. He went to a spring practice last March. That was his first time visiting the Gamecocks. And he and Torian Gray have been uh, tight since that day. Gray, of course, the Gamecock secondary coach. So Blair says the relationship between those two has really grown. And he really likes him. He likes the way he coaches. He likes the way he uses young players. They like the way he's a downhill player and loves to hit. And uh, he's fast. And he just makes plays. So that seems to be working well for South Carolina. Right now, they're also battling with the likes of Michigan, Tennessee, Florida State, LSU, 
Miami, Notre Dame, and Penn State. And uh, But he likes South Carolina, says he has a great feeling about the program. Got that family feel going. He's also going to take official visits in the summer to Notre Dame, Michigan, and Penn State the weeks after his official visit with South Carolina the first weekend in June. He's also looking at Virginia Tech, Miami, and Florida State for other official visits. So those eight schools, he said, to a certain extent, they've kind of separated themselves from the pack. Steve Wiltfong, 24-7 Sports, he reported today. Quarterback Ryan Montgomery, Finley, Ohio, plans to revisit USC and Florida in April. He'll see the Gators the first week in April and the Gamecocks the third week. Montgomery's dad had told us last week that after basketball season, which is still ongoing after the playoffs, they did plan to come back down south and revisit some schools. They just weren't sure when those visits were going to take place. Now we've got a little bit more insight on that. Wide receiver Vernell Brown of Orlando has Clemson among his top 11. The others are Syracuse, Florida, Florida State, Ohio State, Miami, Stanford, Louisville, Tennessee, Alabama, and UCF. Safety Anquan Fagans of Alabaster, Alabama, U Alabaster, has set official visits with Clemson May 31st, Georgia June 7th, and Washington June 14th. 2026 wide receiver Jordan Gidron of Ridgeview has picked up offers from North Carolina and Tennessee. USC offered 2026 linebacker Chad Fairchild, 6'1", 215, of Lovejoy, Georgia. Clemson target linebacker Jadon Harmon was offered by Oregon. There you go. There you go with the recruiting report tonight right here on Sports Talk. Okay, time is short. And if we want to squeeze in a phone call, we can do that. Yeah, we got Hank we got, in Columbia. Josh? Well, Hank in Columbia. How about that, Hank? You got about 90 seconds, sir. Make it good. How's it going? Great. Hey, Cohen, I was listening in the first half, and uh, you were talking about South Carolina's uh, the team and, and their accolades, and you were talking about <laughs> their outside shooting. Um, and I think Birdie said something about Pow Pow. Um, and, you know, she's the top three-point shooter in the country since she leads the NCAA. Um, but also, some, uh, South Carolina as a team is the number two team in the nation in three-point percentage. They, they're actually number two in the country in three-point shooting as far as percentage-wise. So I think that was the issue many years before with always you zone up and do that. But that that's a problem this year. Uh, because they lead, they have the top two three-point shooters in the SEC, but the team as a whole is ranked second in the entire country in three-point shooting. Now, shooting over I'm going to be honest with you. I know Pow Pow can pop it. If if a team takes her three-point, I, I don't trust their three-point shooting as a team overall, though, to be honest with you. If somebody takes Pow Pow out by, you know, defending her, maybe well, double-teaming her. We could have to. You'd have to take out Chester Johnson also. Uh, <laughs> and I'm and just, I'm, I'm 40, just thinking about shooting you, 44%. I'm just <laughs> thinking about the big games down the road in those semifinals and national championship games. Be right back. Straight down the middle. It went straight down the middle. 
Then it started to hook just the wee wee bit And that's when my caddy lost sight of it That little white pellet has never been found to this day But, but it went, went straight, straight down, down the middle, middle. Okay, it is time to catch up on things happening in the great game of golf. All around South Carolina, a little wet today in some parts. PGA Tour down in Mexico. We've got college golf cranking up all over the place as well. Welcome in George Bryan III to Sports Talk once again. Another edition of Birdies. He brings the birdies, bogeys. I bring the bogeys. And the biceps, we both kind of bring a little bit of biceps, though we like to consider ourselves to be not necessarily muscle men, George. We like to consider ourselves to be uh, flexible and able to develop uh, the uh, momentum on our swing to have enough uh, RPM going through there to hit that golf ball way on down the fairway, if that makes any sense. Oh, elastic dynamic (laughs) (laughs) whatever whatever he was saying the later it gets the greater in our own radio minds we become Mm. that's because the later it gets the more tired we become and we start to reach and that's what we're doing we're reaching right now i want to update the pga tour for us here in just a moment did you get much golf in today it was uh intermittent rain all over the place were you able to get some golf in today actually i watched a good bit today but but played it basically all day yesterday and hey go ahead and and uh update i got some pretty cool things to talk about uh and it's not it's not front and center like we, you're getting ready to talk about the greatest players in the world and yeah and speaking of that matt atkins uh was uh Came out, and I watched him play golf this past weekend. Absolutely dialed. Oh, so emotional watching him. He's playing the last hole. It's like he's going to miss the cut. But go ahead and update everybody on what's going on in the world of golf. I love listening to those updates. Well, they're playing the Mexico Open at Vedanta. You ever played at Vedanta in Valerita, Mexico? Uh, I have not. Not yet. Okay. I'm still young, though. All right, so Matt Wallace, 65, he's 11 under. Help me out with names here. Some of these guys I do not know. Uh, Sammy Velamaki, uh, a 67, he's 11 under. Alvaro Ortiz, a 64, he's 11 under. Jack Knapp, he is on the course 11 under, playing the last hole. So that's the top of the leaderboard right there. Now we've got... We got a local in there, Andrew Novak, 66-68, leaves him at 8-under. Carson Young, 71-67, leaves him at 4-under. Matt Neesmith, 73-68, leaves him at minus 1. And you mentioned Matt Atkins. He is playing his last hole unless he's already in. 69, but 2 over today, even for the event and the projected cut is going to be minus one. So if he's not in, he's got to birdie the last. I don't know if you're watching. This is a little bit, this always lags behind uh, real time. So are you watching? Do you know if he's in? Uh, He is playing the last hole, and uh, 
on the par three. Got 25 feet for birdie. But here's the problem. Two, one under might not. They still got plenty. Uh, they got some golfers out. Mm. One under may not make the cut, even if we were to make that birdie. And he is so dialed right now. I've been around quite quite a bit and watched a lot of watched a, a good bit of great golf. And Matt Atkins, he had to force spot to get into this event. And so he was at Selena Golf Club this past weekend. He played with Wesley. And I don't think I've seen anybody hit it in the center of the face with a more beautiful ball flight than he had it going for the nine holes that I watched this past Saturday. And absolutely spectacular, and his putting looked great. And he he got a little bit uh, – it was tougher to play this, af- this afternoon than the morning. And even though he's that dialed, he's sitting on that cut line, it just, just takes a great – just sustained greatness even to make a cut on the PGA Tour. That's a fact. Well, he's a USC Aiken guy, and that's good to see. And also, of course, as I touched on on the leaderboard, Andrew Novak, a Wofford guy, uh, he's right there once again. This is like the second time in the last two or three weeks we've talked about Novak. Where else was he uh, high up on the board? Was it Genesis or was it uh, – where else was he? We talked about that. him somewhere else, yeah. Was it up yeah, at – um, Yeah. It was uh, – it could have been out in, in Scottsdale. Where, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, he is – he's fun to watch. Uh, and then you never can tell. I mean, Carson Young, he's – this guy, once he starts bringing it in, he's got such a beautiful putting stroke. I know he's well back, seven back, uh, but – Anybody making the cut has a chance. Obviously, Novak's in better better shape. That experience he had a couple weeks ago may just put him in good stead to uh, to unleash his best game, and we could have a Walford Terry, another PGA Tour winner, come Sunday afternoon. No well, the, the the more the merrier, that's for sure. Want to have as many of those types as we can. We're going to touch on some college golf here. In just a little bit, update what's happening there because um, there's a lot of activity. In fact, Clemson had a event this week, the Clemson um, men's team, and they finished um, – they didn't win it. They finished in the top six. I'll tell you here in just a second to be accurate. They were playing in Panama City in the Water Sound Invitational. And they finished um, sixth out of 12 teams. So the Tigers, they started the tournament tied for second. They were second after the second round, but struggled coming home. They finished in sixth place at minus six. Vanderbilt won it at minus 29. Florida State and Georgia Tech tied for second at minus 20. And Clemson was there at minus six. And the top Tiger on the leaderboard after it was all over was Jonathan Nielsen, and he shoots 69-70-71 to finish it at minus six. So not a bad showing for Clemson right there. Yeah, and as you want to say, we might have left out another Tiger who was playing well 
Well, maybe I picked up. I was. Uh, I love checking out uh, early season golf. Uh, Jacob Bridgman. I don't know that he got in. Maybe I picked him up on the Corn Ferry Tour. Mm. Uh, noticed Jonathan Bird last week was competing and had uh, well, he finished. He had a top twenty finish on the Corn Ferry Tour. It usually gets a little bit. Corn Ferry Tour is just starting off with the PGA Tour. They're several weeks in, and and I tell you, I'm going to shift gears and go from world class and all this pro golf. Something very special happened this afternoon. I get a video on uh, a four-year-old on the scramble, which is Tsunami Bar Sport Chip and Putt Golf Course. And I know, Phil, you've got the you got uh, the am- the men's amateur record. Does it still stand? Is it still standing? Uh, oh, absolutely. If we say it's standing, it's standing. <laughs> and and the reason. The reason we can is we're still operating in practice round. We're unofficial. Yeah. But unofficially, you do have the course record at the scramble course. And then, listen to this. I get this video, and Roman Parker, Roman Parker, a four-year-old, makes a hole-in-one on number two. Uh, And the video was absolutely beautiful. Uh, that hollering, screaming, and, and uh, you know, that's one thing about the scramble course at Tsunami Bar Sports. It's at 720 Chris Drive. We're still operating again in a practice round. It's not officially open. Uh, likely we'll put the finishing touches on for hopefully March, but more than likely April. Uh, like to open things up when the true golf season opens and masters to me now masters uh week represents the kickoff of true golf season although we're watching it and closely and playing quite a bit now we always oh, been beautiful the last few days however i think we'll get the uh the scramble course should be ready to go april but in this in the practice round so to speak unofficial this four-year-old making a hole in one and what happened right before christmas in a special event through Lexington County Recreation Aging. First time mom makes a hole-in-one, and Miss Amy made a hole-in-one, just one of her first golf swings ever, and it goes in the hole. (laughs) One of her first golf swings ever. And so one of the things that uh, what we're starting to see in golf is this trend Sports family, and it's always been a sport we can play forever, but there's the initiatives uh, through the PGA, USGA. Uh, there are a lot more families getting into it. and uh, So the Roman Parker, four years old, makes his first hole in one. Uh, number two at the scramble. Now, that was just spectacular, and his dad sent me a – in fact, it's Scott Parker. Scott will – Scott's joined us on the show giving golf updates and uh, golf uh, reports. And he will join us again to tell us more. Probably would have been on tonight, but they're still probably at the ice cream par- parlor uh, just celebrating. That's spectacular. Uh, yeah, instead of buying drinks for everybody, you buy ice cream cones ice cream. for everybody. 
Exactly. Hey, exactly. Uh, let me mention, to wrap up the college scene here, uh, the other team most recently playing, Clemson women, uh, they wrapped up a tournament earlier this week down in Melbourne, Florida, and they were ninth out of 17 in that event. And um, so there you go. Just wanted to mention that. They had a they had a showing. The USC men and women uh, are off until uh, March, early March, before they start playing again. So they got a little bit of a, a break here. Um, so the college golf scene is really starting to pick up as well, George, and uh, always get excited uh, you know, watching these teams, you know, in particular, it looks like South Carolina women have a chance to have a very special year. Clemson men look pretty strong. We'll see what the USC men, the Clemson women end up doing. But, I mean, in particular, USC women, uh, they've won every tournament they've been in this year, I believe. And why can't you think about them winning it all? If they can just figure out how to get over that hump in the – national championship tournament, which I think this year the finals not going to be in Arizona, right? Didn't they move it? It's going to be out in, out in California, and I think that's why I read. I was uh, I'm trying to pull up those results, the article from last week, and I think that's what I read. Uh, Coach Kalen wanting to play a couple weeks in California to get her team ready to be on those on that kind of grass and they won twice and i think they've you know it, there's so many different polls on the uh, as far as the perspective of what the rankings i've seen them ranked as high as one but as low as six but anywhere in that category and range is pretty doggone good and i cannot pull up the carlsbad 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 Omni yeah, LaCosta so Champions Course, Carlsbad, California. See, for me, whenever I see a course that has multiple words to its title, that's a course that's too much for me. I like something like, you know, something County Country Club. Nice and simple. When I, <laughs> when, when I get into Omni LaCosta Champions Course, that might be a bit much for the corn. That's a, yeah, well, that's a that's a lot to that's a lot to bring out without without making a bogey, and <laughs> the uh, you do pretty good with the with the names too. And you know, we were on it last week. I was looking up the the Gamecocks one just about back to back out in California, and they also had uh, SEC Player of the Week. Um, Ridquist, Ridquist is, and I cannot recall her first name. <laughs> and that's it's um just having a. Mm, a let's see. We should. Oh, so it's um. Of course, I. You know, Darling is the is the one that you you think about the most. She's like the All American. She's like been the number one player for them. It's um. Louise, Louise. Louise. I say it's Louise. Yeah, Louise. yeah. Mm-hmm. Louise and Han- Hannah Darling, Hannah Darling, and Louise Rinquist. And they uh, they won at Palos Huertos, um, and they also won at Siri. Uh, let's see. Well, they won back to back, and the reason they went out was to get ready for 
NCAAs, and that's you know that's one of the things I would not be at all surprised uh, for the Gamecocks to contend and even win their first NCAA championship. They have knocked on the door for a number of years, and looks to me like they're trending in the right direction. I mean, we still have we still have three and a, a probably close to three and a half months before the championship would be conducted. So, mm-hmm. Now, uh, they, the, their next event's going to be the Hootie, or the Darius Rutger Intercollegiate, I guess. The Darius Rutger Intercollegiate, uh, Monday, March 4th, and then Tuesday, Wednesday. And they're going to be playing uh, at Long Cove Club down there at Hilton Head. So I'm sure you're familiar with that layout, that track. What are they going to be facing there? Uh, extreme, extremely difficult this time of year, and that will be to their advantage. They uh, have had the privilege of watching them play a little bit, not uh, not recently, last few months, but uh, the Gamecocks strong in ball striking. That is a prerequisite on the – that's a Pete Dye golf course that is brutal. And the wind this time of year – the greens will be fast, and they will definitely have a an advantage because of the strength of of their game. And yeah, that'll be fun to keep up with. Also, uh, there is a press day coming up. I think Monday. Will you be Will you be in Hilton Head on the for the uh, press day for Harvard Well, I got my major. I got the first of my majors coming up on Monday. I'm actually going to swing the sticks down here at the beach a little bit over the weekend, George. Kind of, this is sort of like my um, my Hawaii trip. You know, like they they have those two tournaments in Hawaii for the guys to kind of work their way back into things. So this is sort of like my Hawaii. You know, I got an ocean, and I got courses with water, <laughs> and I don't have any mountains or anything. But this is sort of like my this is like my Sony Open down here, whatever they call it, my tournament of champions. So I'm getting ready for my major. There's also a media day um, in Myrtle Beach for that uh, upcoming PGA event in Myrtle Beach at, at, the, uh, at the Dunes Club. Which that golf course is absolutely spectacular also. Now, uh, I was talking to my wife. My, I call her Honey Bunny, and she's already got reservations. We will definitely be in Myrtle Beach watching this event and yeah. uh, really looking forward to seeing how they set that golf course up. A spectacular venue for – it's really cool to have a PGA Tour event back at, back in Myrtle Beach. Mm-hmm. I, guess, I guess we would have to go back into the 70s uh, since the last PGA Tour event was held there. Uh, that's a good one for you to check out. Mm. I can but, remember they had the senior PGA – over at the TPC in Merle's Inlet, the TPC course there in Merle's Inlet, I can remember covering that and and playing you know, that course for their for their media day. Um, let me throw this at you too. Just looking at the USC women and their upcoming schedule, we mentioned the Darius Rutger, and then they go and play in the Valspar Augusta Invitational, which is always big. But then they're going to play something called the Old Barnwell Match Play at the Old Barnwell Club. In Aiken. Now, I don't know the old Barnwell Club in Aiken. Do you know the old Barnwell Club in Aiken? 
I know the club. I have not played the club, and I hear nothing but wonderful things about this brand-new golf club. And it is uh, supposedly a lot of fun, very well kept. And the way that they treat the people is absolutely spectacular. So it's it's kind of it's unbelievable what we have now in South Carolina with these special golf clubs. Most of them seem to be uh, well, Aikens attracting more than just horses. So let me just mm. put it that way. We got Sage Valley, Palmetto Club has been one of the that's world famous and just world class. But and so Sage Valley, Palmetto, there's a uh, tree farm. A new one. Hadn't heard uh, of that one. It is. It's not running parallel, but it's in the same category of old Barnwell. And so those four clubs are going to be joined by even a fifth. And I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong. It seems like it's a number. Uh, the, this new club that's been routed supposedly is in the category of the free farm and the old Barnwell. And uh, it's a, it's called Club 27 or just 27 and i don't know that much about it it's hearsay uh but it ground has been broken Mm. uh there's also coyote over in sumter which is a oh yeah spectacular have you had the privilege to play there i've heard one no no i have not i've got a friend who who plays it and says it's spectacular and that's the old sunset country club right oh yeah and it's a that that club was a lot of fun Yeah. And uh, so in South Carolina, we are absolutely uh, just a target for all the people from people, entities from all over the world to target our beautiful golf land uh, to build these passion projects. And, oh, they do it right on these at these facilities. And it'd be it'd be nice to be a member of of one of them. I hadn't had such. And had that hadn't experienced that level of uh... George, you know, there's not a course in South Carolina that you could not drive up to. Okay, park in the parking lot, pull your sticks out of the trunk, walk into the clubhouse, get a tee time and play because you're GB three, you're the host of Birdies, Bogies, and Biceps, and you're on Sports Talk. <laughs> And while we're while we're talking this way, you know, we can definitely take this wherever we want. And I'd say, oh yeah, you're right. We can talk that talk, man. But when it comes to walking that walk, turning, uh, popping the trunk and taking those clubs out, yep, I can do that. I can then take that bag. Well, actually, in some of these places, I can't even get in the gate. How about that? <laughs> uh, and had. But I haven't, you know what, what we have to do is behave ourselves so we get invitations. Remember, mm. there is, we are, re, we are far reaching with this, uh, with this presentation and you can now watch us all over the country and it is being done or listen to us and they can, I guess, watch. I don't watch this online. You're not watching me. Maybe you're watching you. Are you still, you still sit there? Can we, are you being watched all over the country? Well, we do stream it right now. Your your face when you're on, we put a picture of you on the screen, so your face is being um, 
sent all around the world right now. Who knows who's watching you, say, in, uh, in Spain or uh, Australia right now where it's tomorrow. You're being watched tomorrow, tonight, in Australia. Oh, that's a sad thing uh, to think about. And I hear that music. And there you go. I got to tell you, hey, you uh, I'm really happy you're over there playing the game of golf, and I know you're going to take it deep and have some fun while you're there. So go ahead and sign it off. Until next week, tee them high, but shoot them low. George, same to you. Thank you, my friend. South Carolina leads Belmont 7 nothing. top of the six. Stories on our website later. Thank you, Josh Cohen. Yep. Great weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday.